0: We're going to learn about, I was reading um, Decision Magazine, that's uh, Franklin Graham's magazine, and it has an article by Ann Graham Lott, Putting Holes in the Darkness. I wonder what that's all about. Well, the study is about the chapter one, the book of Daniel, and we'll be reading that in just a little bit, but Ruth Graham talks about that putting holes in the darkness. She's talking about Daniel. And so I, I got that article. I thought that was a great article, and I kept that. And then uh, David Jeremiah wrote a book called The Handwriting on the Wall, which if you remember, Aaron even talked about that on, on the kids' program about the writing that was on the wall, and he showed pictures of it. I don't have any pictures today. But um, God is is used... In Daniel's life, because Daniel showed the kind of character that God wanted out of him, and He wants out of us. So let's go ahead and get started. And uh, who knows, Robert Louis Stevenson? You ever heard of that name? You've heard of the name, don't know who it is, but okay. Robert Louis Stevenson was a, a poet. He was a uh, author and he was an essayist and he lived from 1850 to 1894 and he wrote the thing he's famous for that i think he's famous for is treasure island it was a pirate thing and back in those days that was exciting exciting news he also did a dr jekyll mr hyde thing and uh that was interesting i guess but i haven't read that one anyway um the story is told that Robert Louis Stevenson was put to bed by his nanny, told to go to bed. He was in his, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but maybe his crib. And she noticed that he was looking out the window and he was so mesmerized by looking out the window that she said, what is it, Robert? And she walked into the nursery and looked out there and he said, look, nanny. I'm watching that man as he puts holes in the darkness. Oh, wow. And so, um, and what he was doing is he was out there lighting the lights as he went down the street. And so she says, this is uh, Anne Graham-Launch, she says, sometimes I can be discouraged when I look into the darkness of the spiritual and moral decay of our great nation. But this story reminds me that while I am not able to change the world, I can put holes in the darkness. And we all can do that. The prophet Daniel was a young man who lived during the great darkness of the nation of Judah. The Babylonians from the east swept through and destroyed everything in a series of ruthless campaigns. When the enemy king Nebuchadnezzar ordered the finest and brightest Israelites to be taken captive as slaves, in his palace, Daniel was seized and marched 800 miles east, never to return. But rather, in that despair, Daniel put holes in the darkness. So we're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 1. This is very interesting, very exciting um, chapter. All, all chapters of Daniel are exciting. So, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, get back to that later. King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came unto unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, master of the eunuchs that he should bring the children of Israel and the king's seed and the princesses children in whom had no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning knowledge and understanding science and such as his ability in them could stand in the king's palace so he wanted people he wanted the young people that were smart good-looking and the best they could find, and bring them in so that they could stand in the king's palace, whom they might teach the learning, and also these these people that they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end of thereof they might stand before the king." Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of eunuchs gave the names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, not to be confused with Belshazzar, who was the king's, King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, who was actually the king after after him. But um, he gave the name of Daniel, he gave Belteshazzar, and Hananiah of Shadrach and to Mishael of Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs, and the prince of the eunuchs said to Daniel, "I fear." My lord, the king, who has appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse, liking the children which are of of your sort? Then you shall make endanger my head to the king. Then Daniel said to Melzar, Whom the prince of the eunuchs endanger my head to the king. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. Whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat. Who knows what pulse is? Pulse are vegetables and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked at before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he said, give us pulse instead of the king's food and drink. Give us pulse and water and in ten days see if if we're any less than the other people. So he consented to them in the matter and proved them in ten days. And at the end of the ten days the countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. So he actually... Look better. Thus, Melzar took away the portion of the king's meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse, vegetables. As, I was going to say Cheerios, but it's not quite a screen. But as for the children, uh, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, the king had said he should bring them in, and the princes and the eunuchs brought in them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king commanded them among all that was found, none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding, the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel ended up as, a, as the prime minister of Babylon. Babylon, And then when he came, when the, they were taken over by the Medes and the Persians, he was still in their uh, palace. He was still in the palace. So, how do you think the changes in Daniel's life felt to him? He was moved from Judah, Jerusalem, to a foreign land 800 miles away. If you divide that by 16 miles a day, it took him almost 50 days to get there. And so, so what encouragement uh, for times of change do you find in Psalm 46? Psalm 46 says to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Almoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed and all the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with their swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof "...shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her that is right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms removed. They, uh, they uttered his voice. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord." What desolations he hath made to the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh a bow. He cutteth a spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots with the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So, that gives us tremendous encouragement, doesn't it? Because God is with us, we know. And in in in, in I I, I love this verse, Hebrews 13, 5, He will never leave us nor forsake us. And so He's always there with us. So um so uh this is um continuing on from uh Ruth uh or Anne Graham Watts. She says Make true your convictions. Uh, make the choice. How Daniel handled the changes that swirled about him. The words that describe his choice are in, in found in one eight. And one eight says, "But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat." nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So he had that commitment. So how did the prophet follow through with his choice? He, he, now, this is something that I think Christians need to really work on, is be smart. And he, he made friends with the eunuch. He was And, he, and he, he made that deal with him. Look, give us ten days... Give us the Cheerios, and we'll, you know, the pulse, which is vegetables, really, and the grain grains. You know, give us that for 10 days, and if we don't look better than they are, then fine, you know. And they did, of course. They looked much better. So, So what impact did Daniel's example have on others? There were 70 of them that were taken. If Daniel had not been true to his conviction, do you think anyone back home would have known about it? Nobody would have known if he wouldn't have, you know, his parents were not there, his family, none of the rest of them were there. He, they would have known it. But what are your core convictions? Do you have core convictions? When you are intentionally made the, cho- cho- made the choice to live by, have you, when have you made the choice to intentionally live by these, these uh, commitments? And who has followed... And how have you followed through and who has followed your example? So, um, so what analogy does Jesus use to describe these convictions in Matthew 5, 14 to 16? He says, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto the, all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So let's talk about Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was king when Nebuchadnezzar took over Jerusalem. What a shock! It happened overnight. But God gives, sometimes God gives us warnings. He gives us a yellow light, and then he gives us a red light. And, uh, and so, for many years, the threat of uh, judgment hung over the country. God warned them they would not listen. So... Um, In a minute, we'll talk about the warning that God gave them. So, there was a prophet named Habakkuk that lived during that same time. Also, Jeremiah lived during that same time. And Habakkuk, the prophet, prophet wrote a vivid prediction of the coming of the Babylonian invasion. They didn't pay attention. He lived in Judah and was deeply concerned about the wickedness in the land. He complained that God seemed to be doing nothing. The prophet was much like the people in America today. Why doesn't God stop all the crime and immorality? This is the basic theme throughout the ages. Why does evil go unpunished? Well, God answered Habakkuk. Because that's what he was thinking and he was saying. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. This is Habakkuk 1, 5 through 5-6. For I am doing something in your days that would not, you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. And God used Babylon the Babylonian people Nebuchadnezzar's team shoulders to take over Jerusalem and so who was in charge our great man Jehoiakim only he wasn't such a great man if y'all remember Josiah the prophet Josiah was a great guy Josiah was always for the Lord he got rid of all the high places and and he just He spread a revival throughout Jerusalem and Judah. And his son was Jehoiakim. It didn't spread to his own family. That's his son. He was the rotten apple in the beautiful family tree that that, uh, Josiah had. So while Jehoiakim was on the throne, then Nebuchadnezzar came and took over. God had had enough of them. So then, Jehoiakim heard the, the Egyptians were in the area. So okay, wait a minute, stop a minute. King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came over and took, besieged Jerusalem and took it. But he got a telegram from back home that said, "Your father has passed away. You need to come." So he he so Nebuchadnezzar he took. The 70 kids, 70 children of Babel of uh, Judah, and he took some stuff from the, from the temple, which is used later, as we see in, in later in the in the chapters of Daniel, and they all went back to to um, Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't too worried about Jehoiakim, so he left him king, because he was a weak king. And so, but when the, but when the Egyptians, so, so Nebuchadnezzar went back home. He took Daniel and, and uh, everyone with him, that, and then the, the, the things from the temple, he took all those back. He left Jehoiakim in charge, and Jehoiakim saw that the, the Egyptians were coming close. So he went out and he made a deal with them. And Jeremiah heard about it, and he came back to Jehoiakim and said, What are you doing? You're ready under, um, under the uh, judgment of God. Don't make any alliances with Egypt. But he wouldn't listen. In fact, he threw Jeremiah in prison. So while he was in prison, he wrote some scriptures, Jeremiah thirty-six thirty through 31. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. So he's writing this. Jehoiakim put him in jail, and so now he's writing against Jehoiakim. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no heir to the throne of David. His body will be thrown and exposed to heat by day and frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah, every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So the Lord took care of Jehoiakim. Or to, uh, yeah. So when Nebuchadnezzar had... Um, I think everybody talked about that. He took all the he took all the um, young kids. Yes. One thing you miss, it's easy to miss, but all of those seventy that that Nebuchadnezzar took yeah. were from the royal family. Yeah, they're from yeah, they princes and and yeah, they were from the royal family. They're they're all descendants from David. And. And they were young people. They were Daniel was. They estimate Daniel was 14 or 15. They're saying he was 14 when uh, when he was taken. And um, and they had to be qualified to be in the king's palace. They had to be the smart. They had to have uh, information that. Uh, they were young men. were trained, but they were also trained. They went to Babylon University, <laughs> and uh, they were trained in the in the palace protocol, but also learned the Chaldean language and the knowledge of Babylon. And they were how long were they doing this? Three years. They were taught three years at Babylon University. I, I make that up. That's wherever they were taught. They were taught those things, and of course, Babylon was the learning center of the world in those days, and the Chaldeans had a reputation of being the wisest people in the world. So, I just wanted to mention uh, a couple things. One is, Scripture says that the four Jewish boys' names were changed. Daniel meant, God God is my judge. Hananiah is Jehovah, is gracious. Mishael is who is like God and Azariah, Jehovah, is my helper. But Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. And uh, Daniel became Belteshazzar, meaning Bel, who's their god, protect his life. Hananiah was named Shadrach, which means command of the moon god, Aku. And Mishael was to become Meshach after the, the god Aku and Azariah was changed to Abednego, a way to honor the second greatest Babylonian God, Nebo. And so, the whole idea there is to get them changed so that they won't remember anything back from back home and and uh, all their, their, you know, we don't know how many of those 70 youths had the same kind of standards that Daniel did, but they were succumbed to the, we don't know if they were succumbed to the seduction of Babylon or not, but Daniel said no. And um, he, knew that, he knew that the meat that the king had was offered to idols. And uh, so that was brought before the king's table. So he was taking his life into his hands when he refused to eat Daniel didn't make a fuss of the name change, nor when they wanted him to go to Babylon University, but they tried to feed him the king's meat, he refused. In the Old Testament, there's no prohibition against taking another name. There's no command against learning what others, other people have to teach. Moses and Joseph were both assimilated into other cultures. However, in the Bible, there is a strong prohibition against that which has been offered to idols. and Where God said no, Daniel said no. And the marvelous thing is how God blesses when a person is committed and Daniel was Not a second rate believer. Obeying God when he felt like it or when he was convenient. As a result, God blessed him in some incredible ways. So God had been preparing Daniel for the moment when he would not be in a safe, comfortable environment, when he was alone and being tested to take a stand. But uh, one verse in the book is key to the usefulness for the Lord's work, Daniel eight, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. He said, I can't do that. I will not do what God forbids me to do. But he knew the book of the law, and he would not violate the word of God. So, just a point, every decision that we make affects our entire life. And we're all asked to have those experiences. Take a job somewhere, move to another city, ask her to marry you, uh, accept Christ as your Savior. So, big decisions are a result of all these little decisions that we make. Here's a Here's a point that um, that uh, Dr. Jeremiah said, uh, found he's written as a song. It's written by Horatio Richard Palmer. And it's a song he, psalm he said a song he said that he would claim for his sons and grandsons. And it goes like this: "You're starting, my boy, on life's journey, along the grand highway of life." You'll meet a thousand temptations. Each city with evil is rife. This world is a stage of excitement. There's danger wherever you go. But if you are tempted to weakness, have courage, my boy. Say no. Encourage, my boy, alone lies your safety. When you, the long journey begin, your trust in a heavenly father will keep you unspotted from sin. Temptations will go on increasing as streams from the rivers flow, but if you'd be true to your manhood, have courage, my boy, say no. Be careful in choosing companions, seek only the brave and the true, and stand by your friends when in trial, ne'er changing the old for the new. And when by false friends you are tempted, the taste of the wine cup to know with firmness and patience and kindness have courage, my boy, to say no. When I was uh, that's that was um, in this book, uh, handwriting on the wall, and it was by uh, Horatio Richard Palmer, a song that he wrote. So it 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 does take guts to say no, whether it's. 600, or uh, 2,600 years ago, or, or now, or last night. It doesn't make a difference. My mother, when I was a child, I was probably 14 or 15, she got my, there was two boys and two girls in her family. And I know she got the two boys together, I don't know if the girls were involved in this or not, but she said, don't ever, this was going rampant during the this, this 60s and 50s, and she, uh, drugs were rampant. And she said, don't ever take a drug. If you're at a party and somebody offers you a drug, do not take that drug. And she just gave that a warning to us boys. I don't know if it's girls like say, I don't remember if the girls were involved, but um, I'm sure she told them later, the same thing, but and so we were really careful, and we were on alert, so if anyone would try to offer us a drug, we would do it and so um, so we said no, and that was one thing mother said, and we did. So, um, so what happened, what would happen if we would commit ourselves to say no, no matter what the cost, no matter what people say, where God's word draws a line, I'm drawing the line. Somewhat like that is called the champion. And it doesn't make a difference what the competition does or how you play the game the person who is sold out to the Lord will always be the winner and uh, it wasn't the food that did it for the Hebrew boys it was their resolve to do what was right psalm twenty-five fourteen says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him so even though they were moved to a different land they didn't lose their fear of God Um, Dr. Jeremiah says, I can't think of anyone else in the entire realm of history who lived his whole life from teenager to senior citizen as a consistent, a constant testimony for God. It is, it started back in the first day when he was tempted to compromise what he knew was right. Lord, where are the Daniels today? He says, we've come so far into compromise country. There's no way out. So all this pressure led up to a big decision for Daniel. Would he abandon his heritage and become a Babylonian or would he purpose to honor God and his fathers no matter what the cost? For Daniel, it was no choice at all. He went along with Nebuchadnezzar's program only until he demanded only I mean only until it demanded that he turn his back on God, the God of Israel. And then he made his stand, which we just read in eight. Without showing disrespect to the king, he offered an alterna- alternative proposal. And that's where I think is if Christians, if, if we're smart about things, think things through ahead of time and know what we're going to say and don't alienate people, you know, they're God's children too. We just need to work with them and try to figure out a way to be smart, to get around some of the things that we need to get around. So these are some of the Daniel's options. And uh, this is, and so he, although he was young, he kept his commitment. Although he was in the minority, he kept his commitment. Although most other Jewish hostages apparently went along with King Nebuchadnezzar's program, Daniel and his associates kept their commitment. Although he was away from home, his temple, the parents, he kept his covenant with God. Although he knew the penalty for disobeying the king, he kept his commitment. Although the circumstances under which the commitment was made changed, Daniel kept his covenant with God. So Daniel was moved into a completely different society, but he held it strong. He refused to be consolidated into the Babylonian culture and doing so, he put the rest forever, the idea that Christians have to be bloodless weaklings. This is the start of a new prophetic career for him. And just the point Christians need to be smart. Remember, you know, you say, well, Daniel was smart, and so he he gained a lot of favor and stuff. But Daniel stood up for God. Remember the lion's den? He stood up for God. We're going to throw you in this lion's den if you don't, you know, quit praying to your God. And um, and so he, he, he wouldn't back down, so they threw him in his lion's den. And uh, and the king, he got hornswoggled into making a law by his chief guys so that if anyone prayed to anybody but him, he'd be thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel didn't faze him one bit. He went home and he was up in his his office area and had his windows open and he prayed every day, three times a day to God. And so he was thrown in the lion's den. And, and even the even the king said, because he was sorry that Daniel got, he he made a he made a law that if anyone prayed to anyone else, his but his, his other uh administrators talked him into this, so he created this law, if anybody prayed to anybody else but me for a a month, they get thrown into the lion's den, and so then they reported Daniel, they were trying to figure out how to get rid of Daniel, and Daniel was, you know, he was looked upon favor by the king because he never did any wrong, he did what the king, you know, was supposed to be doing, so anyway, he got thrown in, Yes? And not be, uh, right, and he couldn't change the law. Because once he wrote the law, he couldn't change it. So he had to throw him in. He didn't want to do it. He said, may your God protect you. And he did. He closed the mouth of all the lions. So the next morning, he came there. The king came early to see if he was still um, alive. If, uh, and he, he found he was. So he got him out of there. I think he ended up throwing the other people in, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't remember that part. And then, and then, what about the other people that were with Daniel? There was a time I think Daniel was a foreign correspondent too. He was off. He was off somewhere, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, were. You know, they they take all the dignitaries out to this plane. This is I'm another chapter. I'm, this is a, a, a rabbit trail. But this was so cool. But they took. Uh, they took all of the chief people. Daniel created this huge statue of himself out in the plain and took all of his people out there. And when they were playing, they would play some music. When they played the music, you were supposed to bow down. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednegoes, they were like leaders of a third of each of a third of the kingdom because Daniel made them, uh, put them in charge of those things. And so. Um, they were um, they were not about to bow down to the statue. They only bowed down to the Lord. And so they said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this is Daniel 3, 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter." If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But this, I love this part. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So I just love that part. But because they were so dedicated to the Lord, that was their, their comments. One of my favorite parts, Daniel three. So they had a, so Daniel lived an uncompromising life, and it resulted in several positive characteristics. One is it led to results of courage. Daniel discovered that when he took his stand and drew the line, it was like firing up the furnace on his own intestinal fortitude that took him to the next steps to be firm. As Paul would later write for Timothy, for God has given us a spirit, not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. Um, It also resulted in conviction. When Daniel went beyond the ordinary and adopted high standards against all forms of evil, he wanted to live way above temptation. So he refused the king's food from the king's table, and he put a standard so high that no one would evil be able to uh, understand his convictions. And, um, so, and, then, and then courtesy is another thing that comes out of an uncompromising life. Sometimes we get the idea that to take a stand means you have to be mean and nasty. Not so, Daniel stood up for what he believed in, but he did it in a courteous and respectful manner. He made a dignified request non insulting or demanding. It also results in confidence, this uncompromising life. Daniel believed so much that the word of God could not possibly let him down, so much confidence that he put himself on the line for what he believed. Daniel was living such a holy and righteous life, walking the power of God that he had been given, and he wasn't afraid to test the commitment before the whole kingdom. The uncompromising life results in consistency. Daniel lived a consistent, holy, righteous, godly life for more than 70 years in the Babylonian palace. After the Babylonians were gone, he kept right on living for God, though the Persian reign came into power, and Daniel remained true to God throughout the life, and he was kept by the Persians to to govern the people. Uh, Last, uh, God rewarded Daniel with special influence. He was influential in the courts. When, he, um, when the king saw how smart he was and how well he had done in his course of study, the Bible says that he stood before the king. He enrolled as, as a palace administrator. He was enrolled as a palace administrator, even and eventually became prime minister of the kingdom. Beyond that, Daniel had great influence on his close friends and on the rest of the captives. Uh, There's a phrase in the book of Daniel that is not repeated about anybody else in the Bible. Three times in the book of Daniel, he's referred to as a man greatly beloved. Why? Because he was a companion of the people of the exile. He was one from whom they got their strength. They knew Daniel would do the right thing, and they revered him. That's the power of an uncompromising life in that day and in this. So don't be discouraged because of the turmoil and decay of our changing world. Make the choice, to be true to your convictions, live your, your life committed to the truth, and experience the blessing of putting holes in the darkness. In case you hadn't been here from the beginning, putting holes in the darkness is when it uh, was a story that uh, uh, and Graham Lotz, Wrote in a book in a in uh, actually the the um, Decision magazine it's called Holes in the Darkness. And what what uh, little Robert Luden Stevenson had she re- she recalls the story of Robert Luden Stevenson who looked out and saw the lamplighter lighting the lamps, and she told her nanny he's putting holes in the darkness, and, <laughs> and so. We can put holes in it. We we may not be able to be a Billy Graham, someone that can, you know, give the gospel to millions of people, but we can do our part and we can put holes in the darkness by just one at a time visiting with people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, Father. Uh, we thank you for your word in Matthew by letting your light shine. And Lord, we just... Uh, We have the light. We have Jesus. We know who he is. We know that he is the Savior of the world, and he died for all of us. We pray that we can share that with our friends, and we can put holes in the darkness and glorify you at the same time. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.